So hello, everyone. It's Heidi Trost. I'm the host of Human-Centered Security. I am here with head of design at Hyper, Jan Grinstein. And Jan is a HCI and accessibility certified human-centered design leader. He's also a speaker. He's a mentor. He's been doing this for over 20 years. He spent the first half of his career on the agency side and then moved to the client side. So he's held a a lot of different positions, uh, worked with a lot of different teams. And, oh, he's worked with international teams on three different continents and four different countries, from Fortune 500s to startups. And some of those have become multi-billion dollar companies today. So thank you so much for joining us, Jan. I'm super excited to talk about your work at Hyper. The first question I have for you is just to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, where do I start? Um, <laughs> uh, so I was born in Soviet Union. The country doesn't exist anymore. I grew up in Israel. I lived in Canada for six and a half years. Uh, and obviously, as you just stated, I worked uh, across Canada, States, Israel, a bit of Russia, and so forth. Um I began my career really as as an artist. I, I was uh, I was a painter, and then I shifted into interior design. That was my fascination, and uh, my fascination for interior design kind of got over uh, when internet became a thing in the early two thousands. And that's how I uh, dropped college and everything else and decided to become a web designer. And from there, my career just uh, you know a rocky, weird uh, tanglement of of uh, events that happening led me to who I am today and being in this industry for a long time and work, working with uh, um, really a, a shit ton of different companies uh, and different industries. Um, and here I am, twenty, uh, almost 25 years later. So tell us a little bit about Hyper as a company. So Hyper is, uh, uh, we're a cybersecurity tech startup uh, and we specialize in passwordless authentication technology. Uh, which essentially means that anyone who uses our technology does not use, store, remember, resets, or does anything with passwords whatsoever because we completely eliminate those. And how do you do that? Uh, I'm not going to go into too much technical details, but essentially uh, we utilize a, uh, a public, uh, public-private uh, keys, and uh, we use people's mobile devices as smart cards when it comes to uh, employee site uh, use use case and uh, for the consumer essentially authentication as a key which is their mobile device as well um, so yeah so no more passwords just you as as the factor and uh, an exchange of keys that's it yay everyone I think is <laughs> jumping up and down no more passwords yeah so we're gonna dive a little bit deeper uh, into what that all means. One of the things I want to talk about first is just kind of UX and security in general. And obviously, passwords are a huge pain to a lot of people, uh, a huge UX, you know, user experience nightmare, really. And one of the things that you published on Hyper's blog, which I really thought was funny, was you said user experience is the sole reason why nothing is secure today. And like I said, I, I laughed because I, I share a similar sentiment, but I was hoping you could kind of unpack what you were, what you meant by this? Sure. Um, so uh, I don't know if how many of the listeners listeners would know or have seen my uh, my keynote presentation at uh, Identiverse this year. 
And I've been talking about, uh, you know, the last two, three decades of cybersecurity and how much uh, uh, the industry itself has been doing towards the security side, right? But absolutely nothing towards the user side. So essentially what happened is over the last uh, three decades or so, right? It, we, we went from uh, just a few uh, characters of passwords, right? I don't know if I think it was like four digits or something like that, uh, or four characters, to suddenly adding another thing, which is, okay, now let's make it eight character. Uh, and hold on a second. And another few years, let's make it... Uh, a combination between uh, alphanumerical, right? And then lowercase, uppercase, special character, uh, second factor, multi-factor, key, no key, uh, backup, no backup, right? And eventually it became this massive kind of a, a, a stack of all these keys and all these locks that I have to go through in order to do one simple thing. I just, I'm just trying to get into my apartment or my house. Right, and and it's, it's the same thing. Of uh, sometimes you can see in, in you know shows of, or or movies where they show you these paranoid people that have fifteen to twenty different locks on their doors, and it <laughs> takes them like fifteen minutes to unlock the door for for a pizza delivery guy. So honestly, I cannot blame the users, right? The regular people, average Joes like us, uh, not adhering to anything like. I don't want this. I'm my task is at hand. I need to get into something. And you're putting all these roadblocks in front of me. I'm going to make sure to make these roadblocks as easy as possible for me, which means I'm going to reuse my password. I'm going to change just one character every 90 days you're asking me to change the password in, in, in the company. I will uh, create the simplest or the the stupidest 2FA I can possibly find ever, which is probably going to be an SMS text message or uh, I don't know, a uh, one-time password being sent to you by email, which is really bad. Um, because I need my life to be easy. More so what I found in, in the corporate environment, right? In companies where technically employees are supposed to follow the handbooks by the corporation. However, when you have a manager breathing down your neck and asking you to complete a task and you cannot complete it right, uh, right this second because... You need to log into something, and that login suddenly asks you to, to do all these different things. You're stressed out, and so you're trying to bypass them as as, as much as you can. So yeah, as cybersecurity have been preaching, you know, uh, everywhere for for years that the weakest link in the entire puzzle of cybersecurity uh, uh, posture is the user, and I would agree with that, but it's not the user's fault. It's the cybersecurity's fault that no one actually considered putting all these roadblocks in place. How will they impact the actual human being doing these things on a daily basis? In what conditions? Are they stressed or they're not? Are they rushing or they're not? Are they happy or they're sad? Are they annoyed or they're not? There's so many different why you, variables. Why, why do you think it has taken so long for us to address this problem? Do you think it's because... Is it because we now have smartphones in our pockets that this is all suddenly possible, or is there another reason? Um, I think there is a it's a combination of several things. A, um, thank you, Steve Jobs, for iPhone one, uh, and and you know the revolution that came afterwards with all the smartphones and uh, biometric authentications and so forth. 
but also uh, I would say um, such standards as FIDO. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I hope the listeners of this show familiar with FIDO Alliance and their standards. Uh, but when that came to be, that allowed uh, other companies to figure out how to utilize the standard and build on top of it or utilize it fully in order to create the passwordless authentications and other uh, ways, methodologies, or methods of authenticating or allowing people to log into things without utilizing passwords. Yeah, and that was one of my questions for you. I was wondering if you could talk about some of the work that you're doing through the FIDO Alliance. Um, I can't dive into too many details, uh, but I can say this much. So FIDO Alliance has a UX test board. Uh, task force is essentially a uh, it's like an advisory board uh, and uh, it's a combination of a lot of very talented design leaders from uh, really global brands that came together uh, uh, to figure out how do we communicate uh, uh, and promote FIDO as, as a standard and create more of a passwordless world, not only from the technical standpoint, but also from the human side and, and understanding and, and learnability. So we all work together uh, um, for that kind of a common goal of making uh, the future of our uh, digital technology and digital world in general uh, to be passwordless and more accessible. That's awesome. So can you talk a little bit about Hyper's approach to UX? So I'm wondering if you have a specific process that you follow, maybe you have UX frameworks that you work with, um, or we could talk about how Hyper addresses UX challenges. Uh, yes, yes, and yes, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so w- one of the things that I love about our company is that uh, from early days, and uh, again, I've been quoted about it a few times in other places, the founders of the company had to convince me to join. Uh, because at the beginning, I, somebody who never been in cybersecurity, uh, coming from very different worlds, uh, could not understand how a cybersecurity or why a cybersecurity need, needs uh, a UXer. Uh, but I'm absolutely uh, glad that I joined uh, because from basically day one of the company, we managed to create a culture that we should not be doing anything unless we tested, it, verified it, validated it, uh, researched and so forth, uh, which means that literally every single thing or almost every single thing I would say that we do in a company goes through a fairly rigorous uh, flow of uh, research and studies and understanding how it will impact the end user, how it will impact the customer, how it will impact the product itself, uh, the business goals and so forth. And um, you ask about uh, certain different methodologies. I don't necessarily utilize any kind of specific frameworks in our organization. Uh, I did build uh, a uh, kind of a unique uh, system, if you will, in collecting uh, data, uh, harvesting this information, and then making the analysis of what uh, what we should be working on and how we should be working on it, what's more important, what's less important uh, in terms of uh, the output of the research we do. Uh, and this can be found online. I published an article about that on Medium, uh, actually UX Collective. Uh, it's called uh, da- uh, Data Triangle. 
Uh, anyone who wants to read it, feel free to read it. Um, now, going back to that, and I'll give you just a simplest example. We were having conversation about, uh, I think it was like a few years back, we're having conversation about uh, literally a sentence in our product. Like which, which way we should approach the sentence. And the thing it was a communication in, in our platform uh, to the end user, hoping to either direct them to do something or not direct them to do something. And that little part when, went on being tested probably with about three or 400 people uh, for about a week and a half. And we tweaked a little bit the words. We tweaked a little bit uh, uh, the sentence itself until we got to that one single uh, data output that said, yes, about 80% of people or 85% of people would understand what we're talking about and trying to achieve. So that's the amount of testing we do on, on almost everything, single thing. You know, for for folks who are new to UX, I know in our initial conversation, you talked about some of the research that you've done that is more kind of overarching strategic research to really understand you know, how people think about passwords, how they use or don't use passwords, that type of thing. And then what you just described, you know, testing really specific things at the product level is really important too. And finding that balance, um, you know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. And I would also love for you to walk us through some of, you know, those research projects that look, you know, at, at people's, how people view passwords and, and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, uh, that's interesting. So uh, there, there are a lot of research that is being conducted in the company that is not related to product. Uh, you're right. A lot of it is being done on a more strategic level to understand how people uh, in general uh, perceive, accept, or, or decline, or deny, or don't want to hear about uh, passwordless technology or any other things. Uh, and yes, there is a research that I have conducted over almost three years about how people behave with passwords. And again, it can be found online uh, through our blogs or other medium or other publications that, that I was published on. Uh, it found a lot of interesting things, but I think one of the most interesting and recent ones uh, that I worked on, it was the uh, essentially generational um, divide, if you will, that uh, kind of exists in the industry of uh, how people will perceive this technology or technology in general uh, between the older generation and the younger generation and so forth. And um, what we found essentially is that, let me, let me back up a little bit. So we tested with older people uh, anywhere between 65 all the way to 90. And what we found is that majority of them actually do understand what passwordless technology is, which is mind blowing. They did understand what it was. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And and the the funny part is about the other side that did not really understand or did not say that they would like to have or use passwordless technology. Apparently, uh, about probably eighty plus percent of those people who said no, I'm not going to use the passwordless technology. They said, I'm not going to use it, not because they don't want it, but because they, they merely did not understand what that is from the perspective of security. Because in their mind, passwordless means I don't have any password, which means everything is open, right? Yeah. 
Uh, so it's all about education and, and public uh, uh, awareness of the technology. Now, on the other spectrum of this uh, ageism, if you will, uh, we have the younger generation. I'm not, I don't apply to that. I'm not that young, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there is a notion in the tech industry or a cybersecurity industry that, yeah, let's add this, you know, MFA, 2FA, whatever else, younger people will get it because they're technologically advanced and they basically were born with iPhones in their hands. But at the end of the day, believe it or not, they don't. So when we started researching, the research essentially began from to understand if younger generation, like millennials, Gen Z, and so forth, do they use a simple uh, uh, password protection methodology, which is password manager, like 1Password, uh, LastPass, and so forth. And believe it or not, about 75 plus percent of, of younger generation don't even know these exist. No idea. Don't utilize it. Don't use it. Don't know it exists. Now, when we found that, I became more curious. And so I started digging it, uh, digging a little bit deeper. And when you go even younger than Gen Z, you find an interesting uh, uh, data point. And, and the data point, essentially, younger generation, people who are uh, kids, essentially, they don't even understand the conceptual idea of passwords or why you even need one. I had a brief conversation with a colleague from another company who actually builds a technology. Uh, like It's like a GitLab or GitHub for, uh, for kids. And most of their users are anywhere between the, the ages of 10 and I think 14. And one of the problems he told me that they've been having is multiple profile creations for single user. And the reason for that is because when they create a password, they don't remember it. They just put some gibberish in just to get in. And then they walk away and then they come back. They don't obviously remember it. And going through the process of resetting the password, it's a lot longer uh, than essentially just creating a new account. And so you just keep creating new accounts with different uh, uh, emails, right? Because they don't really understand the, the, the point of the password. So what it, what it essentially uh, uh, said to me, right, as a researcher, is that the passwordless technology is actually the cross-generational technology that everyone's kind of looking for. It doesn't have the specific age group. Because today, the older generation wants it because their older generation, they're struggling with passwords. So they need anything that will help them to get into their health, uh, healthcare provider, banking, and so forth without any hassles and not utilizing the memory to remember and store and manage multiple passwords and 2FAs and so forth. And the younger generation that's been using their fingerprints and face IDs and, and uh, pins and so forth to seamlessly get into every application and so forth, they don't understand the need of password or the, or the use case for the password. So once there is a passwordless technology, there's no need for understanding which age it should be uh, developed for. So this is the kind of uh, research that we do uh, fairly often throughout the years to understand uh, globally how people will be perceiving different technologies, not necessarily only ours, just 
to understand how people behave with technology. Yeah, that's super, super interesting. So what do you, so I heard, you know, in one aspect to the, the older generation is hesitant to adopt passwordless security because they think passwords, like I I need one of those. Otherwise, like there's, you know, there's a gaping hole in, (laughs) in terms of getting into my account. So do you, how do you address that? Do you speak to those users you know, differently? Do you address that problem head on so that they understand that? Like, um, So A, we, uh, from, from the product perspective, what we are trying to do always is to A, test with the older generation. And we've been doing it for a long time mm-hmm. to try and make sure that our product can be used not only by the advanced, right? Or by the tech savvy, if you will, but also by uh, the older generation and companies. Because at the end of the day, if you're thinking about it, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's either 40 or, or 45% of the corporate America is aging and would be at the uh, at the point of retirement over the next, I think, five to seven years. I don't remember the exact number, so don't, uh, don't take my word for it. Uh, but there is a serious worry from the corporate America that a lot of the people that they have will be retiring over the next decade, right? And so how do you how do you cater to people who will be retiring, but they're still there, right? And they do run the companies and they do run the departments and, and different sections of the, of the corporations. How do you make sure that technology is in such a way or, or the product is built in such a way that they can also use it without any issues? And so, yes, we, uh, we constantly test our product with people above the age of 60, 65, and we make the adjustments to make sure that they seamlessly understand uh, they don't have any issues. Uh, and if they do, then it's being resolved pretty quickly uh, within the product and they don't have to reach out to 15 different people to try and fix the problem. Yeah, that's great. And this you know, really all ties back to what the quote that I started off with that you said user experience is the sole reason why nothing is secure today. Yes. But with your research, like you're you're understanding how people think about passwords, you're overcoming objectives or overcoming potential roadblocks because you're really empathizing with the end user and you understand where they're coming from. So that that's fantastic. You said that you did, you have done other research around technology. Can you walk us through any of that? As I mentioned, we... Uh... <laughs> I think it goes to the other side of our product, which is for the administrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what we try to understand, or I guess me personally, I wanted to understand is how do admins manage products like ours or similar in their corporate and their companies, right? Uh, because creating a product for the end user, it's, it's one thing essentially. Uh, now, Creating a product for the administrator is a whole different ballgame. Because at the end of the day, if you're if you're thinking about the uh, administrators, they're probably the most forgotten side of the usability in general. It's not only cybersecurity, really. If you look at almost anything, um, and so what we did is we decided to start uh, several years back, we decided to start having conversations with that side of the coin. 
not necessarily you know directed to understand our, how do we build our product for them or not, but just to understand how do they go about their business on a daily basis, right? We we literally had conversations and try to understand what time do you wake up? Do you have coffee? You don't. What do you do? What's your morning routine? Do you log into things? You don't. What kind of software do you use? How do you use it? Do you delegate to other people? At what point and how and then so forth. And so we dove into into kind of a their lifestyle of, of how they uh, live their life in, in, in their work environment. Uh, and we discovered a lot. We really discovered a lot. Uh, apart from the fact of them being a little confused at, at some point of why are we even asking those questions? <laughs> They're like, no one ever asked us. I'm like, great, we'll be the first. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, <laughs> it's a funny story. I had to actually, um, I think it was an, uh, one of the admins from, uh, uh, Sony, uh, Sony Media, I think, uh, that we had a conversation and he's like, why are you asking me these questions? I'm like, well, I would like to understand. He's like, I'm an admin. You just put <laughs> things in front of me and I'll figure it out. And I'm like, yo, but but you're still a human, right? You still like good things and bad things. You still like, you know, applications like Facebook or Instagram and so forth. And so, yeah, he was, he was a little uh, taken aback by <laughs> asking questions. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, we've learned a lot about how they live their, their work life. And we were able to kind of shift not only the mindset of, of our uh, internal team of how to design and build uh, the admin side of our product, but also how to communicate it, right? How do, uh, how do you communicate to the end user regardless of who that is, admin or not, in such a way that they don't feel intimidated, they don't feel dumb, uh, they don't feel that being threatened, and so forth. Uh, and a great example of that is something that I said at some point to somebody in my company. Um, how do these products typically communicate to you, especially when there's like a confirmations or errors happening in the product of something happened? Or you did something and the system needs you to confirm it. And so the system typically would do, are you sure you want to do X, Y, Z? And typically the choices you have is confirm or cancel, right? And so when I was having this conversation, like, hold on a second. When you walk into a coffee shop and you ask the barista to make you a latte with skim milk and you walk away, barista turns around to you and says, hey, are you sure you want skim milk? Let me ask you a question. Is your answer is confirm or cancel or is it yes or no? <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's great. So that's really what I mean, human communication. I, I truly and honestly believe with my all being is that if we don't humanize technology, we cannot expect humans to treat technology the way we want them to treat it. Well, and you probably also have to address the idea, not the idea, the the problems that admins have to encounter on a daily basis as well. Of course. Yes, admins are people too. And I, I love that, that you say that. That makes me so happy. You know, but admins have to deal with, so what if a user loses their phone? You know, now the admin has to go and, and fix that. Like, you know, they're dealing with potentially complicated, potentially uh 
larger security problems, you know, based on someone losing their phone or someone stealing their phone. Um, I, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, look, problems will always happen. We can't avoid it. Technology is only as good as the ones who are designing it. And so we're always going to be a little flawed, right? But at the end of the day, there are several ways of going about this, right? One way is making sure that your product uh, has a pretty pretty damn good prediction system, which means uh, you can design a product in such a way where you can kind of foresee where they might have a problem and fix it ahead of time before they even get to that problem. B, when the problem actually arises, then you're communicating it in a clear and human way, not in an intimidating way of alert, you did something bad, right? You're communicating in a human way so they can understand what happened, why it happened, and how to fix it, right? So yeah, they will be dealing with problems, of course, but it's all about are you going to be making it difficult for them or are you going to be making it easier for them to deal with these problems? Or are you even going to help them out in your product? I love this advice. So like you said, try to anticipate the problems, prevent them from happening if you can. Obviously, things are going to happen. So help the user you know, recover from the problem. Don't yell at them, you know, figuratively yell at them, make it human. You know, that is fantastic human-centered advice. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. I'm so glad that you're that hyper is approaching it this way, and I'm really excited and happy to see that you are you are thinking about the admin experience as well. I think that's super important, and I think it's really important in the security world as well. Admins have, you know, have a lot of things coming at them and they deserve a great user experience, not just because they're humans, but because, you know, they're trying to make decisions and, and, and fix things. And we might as well make that the, the software as, e- as easy as possible for them. Absolutely. Yes. So do you have any advice for people who are building security products? Wow. Um, I would say I have three advices, if I may. Um, I guess one and, and by far the most important one is make it passwordless. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I'm kind of sounding like I'm, I'm selling here, but at the end of the day, honestly, it's not necessarily about uh, you know my company or somebody else's, but passwordless technology is, is the way to make things better faster, simpler, easier, and so forth. And honestly, it's it's a much better user experience than typing in a password, stumbling, and making it incorrect, resetting it, and so forth. Um, well, and just to jump in here, I, I think the, the larger thing that you're saying is don't just approach things and keep putting additional barriers on something that you that needs to be rethought from the very beginning. I think that's how Hyper has approached Yes. The the product and you know you're getting to the root of the issue as opposed to just <laughs> just putting more roadblocks in place and like hoping for the best. Yes, basically. <laughs> um, I would say the second and extremely important advice is uh, 
I know I'm probably going to sound like any other UXer out there, talk to your users, but I'll take it a, a notch up. Don't talk to your users, talk to humans. And there is a difference. You can talk to your users. These are the people who use your product on a daily basis or about to be using your product on a daily basis. And when you talk to humans, these are people who have no idea what your product is. They have no idea how to use your product. And when you throw them into that fire, you're going to learn a lot more what to fix in your product for people who do use it. And alongside that, I would say that uh, make it accessible. Because when you make uh, your products accessible and inclusive of all, it only benefits the rest of the people, not only the people with disabilities. And this is one of the things that actually we didn't really touch that much in this conversation, but I think um, a lot of the products, especially security products, lack in, in uh, I don't even know what, what scale um, is making products in, uh, 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 accessibility compliant and inclusive for mm -hmm. all people to be able to use them. Because believe it or not, a lot, of, a lot of talented technology people, a lot of talented admins and so forth that do have different disabilities. And if the product is not usable for them, their, their job becomes so much more harder. Um, and the third thing is, uh, if you don't know what FIDO is, just go Google FIDO Alliance and read on it. Those are great points. And I think this is a great spot to finish up the conversation. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can obviously reach out to me through my website, uh, which is my full name, jangrinstein.com. Uh, they can definitely find me on LinkedIn, which is again, my full name, Jan Greenstein. Uh, and I'm, I'm open to people, uh, to have a conversation and reach out to me. Uh, I mentor people. I help, uh, people in terms of their uh, careers and so forth uh, and career coaching. They can also reach out and find me on ADP List uh, where uh, it's a mentorship uh, platform, uh, adplist.org. Um, where else? And of course, uh, at, at, uh, at Hyper. And that is hypr.com. Hypr.com, yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jan. This was a really, really fun conversation. I found it super interesting. I hope everyone else does too. And I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken to talk with us today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for inviting. It, it, was, it was a blast. Um, I really appreciate your uh, considering me for this, uh, for this conversation. Of course. Thanks again. Thank you.